0: The Here podcast is all about reclaiming your power and reconnecting with your mind and body. By releasing our stories and the power they have had over our lives and creating a compassionate and supportive community, we can bring love, understanding, awareness, and healing to ourselves and to all who need it most. Join me in saying enough is enough. I own my power. I am ready for the next chapter of my life, and it will be the most amazing one yet. be discussed that could be distressing to you depending on where you are in your healing journey. If the episode becomes triggering, practice self-care by turning off the episode. If you need to talk to someone, you can always contact your local crisis center or Rain's national hotline via chat on their website at rain.org, or by calling 1-800-656-HOPE. All the links are provided in the show notes. Hello everyone and thank you again for tuning in and joining me today. Uh, Today I have a very special guest I was very excited to speak to. Um, Her name is Joanna and she is the creator of the Relentless Project and she also is the host and creator of a podcast called The Relentless Project, and her whole project and podcast deals with life beyond child sexual abuse and CPTSD, so very, very in line with with everything I'm doing as well. When I started my podcast, I came across Joanna and immediately reached out and then very gently nagged her to be on the show. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I'm very excited. Welcome Joanna to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So starting off, I would love to hear your story, how you would like to tell it, and then find out all about how that um, shaped you to be what you're doing today and what you're giving back to this community and your audience. So if you could tell us a little bit about your story, I would love to hear it.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, you're going to have to forgive me. It's, it's still a challenge to, to share my story just because as soon as I started my project, I hadn't realized um, that I hadn't even... I hadn't even told the story to myself from beginning to end. Yeah. And so when you spoke to me and you messaged me, I was excited. Um, but then I had realized, oh my gosh, I have not told myself the story yet. Um, I had known, I've always known what has happened um, deep inside myself. But the actual um, the actual telling myself what had happened and the realization of what has what what I really what I went, what I went through um, hasn't really come into full. Uh, I haven't actually stepped back and looked at the full picture yet, and so um, there was a lot of personal work I had to do um, with that, um, and.
0: Um, I just want you to know, Joanna. I completely understand. When I recorded my episode two, it was it was really hard, and I just you can take your time. And if you start sharing, and you're like, you know what, I wanna I wanna change direction, or I wanna stop where I'm stop. Or, you know, um, I wanna stop at any point. It's totally your time and your story to tell. And please don't worry about any of that.
1: I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um I th- I think I'll start with um the the big picture. I think that'll probably be easier for me. Um ooh, I have not said this out loud in my own words before. <laughs>
0: so sorry. No, don't gonna... <laughs> please don't be sorry. I'm so honored that you're even taking this time to talk to me about it and trusting me to tell your story, um definitely take all the time you need and yeah.
1: Ooh, okay. It's interesting, um the story kind of the story is when I think about what had happened, I think about it in pieces. And um actually when I listen to your when I listen to your story, I I remember you saying something like you remember pieces of it, very specific pieces. And um, that's kind of where I'm at now. And I'm sorry, Felicia.
0: <laughs> no, don't, no, it's absolutely, absolutely okay. Um, uh, yes, to absolutely, <laughs> I say absolutely a lot to agree with you. <laughs> uh, I did. I remembered my story in pieces and I was really nervous actually for a long time to tell my story because I remembered it in these big pieces. And I didn't, I didn't, well, honestly, I didn't want to sound like I wasn't being truthful because I didn't remember it fully. Like I could not go into court and Explain days and times and exactly when and how events happened. Uh, I just couldn't do that. The way I remembered it was the way I experienced it as an 11 year old girl. And then I kept that secret, oh, geez, until I was 17 years old. And when I was 17, when I told my mom, I didn't even really tell her. I just said I had been molested. That was it. And so it took until, well, I'm 43 now. And my episode two was the first time. I said exactly what happened and that's why I told mine in detail because it was almost like exactly what you're saying. I was telling me what happened and so that's why I went into detail and that's why I always tell our guests as well, you don't have to go into detail. You can say as much or as little, but for me, I wanted to say it out loud and I wanted to tell myself this is what happened and because I remember it in pieces and can't remember exact days or times or whatever, I'm okay with that. I remember it, how I experienced it as an 11 year old girl. So I can completely resonate with what you're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, I think that's a huge part about this um, journey after the fact is that I didn't realize that the entire time I was in survivor mode,
0: Forgive
1: me, I'm still trying
0: to <laughs> bring myself back here. Honestly, take as much time. If you are um, if you like need a long pause and you need to breathe, that's okay because there's the magic of editing. And ultimately, if at any point you're like, you know what, Felicia, I can't do this at this time. I am happy to, you know, do it at another time when you're ready, when you're feeling ready. So don't feel pressure just because Um, any pressure from me at all because I am happy and honored to hear your story whenever you're ready to tell it.
1: Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I didn't realize that um, I would go straight into uh, stress mode. (laughs) I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, no, I I understand. I completely understand.
1: I think crying is one of those things where (laughs) I hate doing it. But I'm starting
0: to realize that it's important. Yes. Yes. I, I'm the exact same way. I know the, I know I can tell you this. Uh, it was really hard to um, tell my story, even it it was, and you're so brave. I, when I told it, I was all by myself in a room talking into a microphone and I was, I kept telling myself in my head, you don't have to do anything with this. Just say it. You don't have to do anything with this, and so then I, you know, I got it out, and you're telling your story, but to somebody else. But maybe that would help at the end of the day. If you're like, and I, know, I don't think this will be you, but if it comforts you, you can say, you know what, Felicia doesn't have to do anything with this. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to be here to hear the story, and if at the end you're like, I don't want you to post it, you know what? I'm. It was not a waste of time for me because just being here for you is everything to me. So if that helps, because I know that helped me help, it helped take off some of the pressure, I guess.
1: Yeah, actually it's funny cause well, funny, not like ha ha funny, but um, so I tried to share my story at first and it's interesting cause at first I, I didn't think it was relevant to share my story. That was Joanna maybe like two months ago <laughs> until I realized that we just don't have that many people share, sharing. Well, obviously it's really difficult too.
0: You've had to live with the story and hold on to the story for so long. I know for me, it was so long that it came to a point where it felt impossible to share it because I'd kept it so long. Like where do I even begin? How do I even start? And the, um,
1: The bearing of emotions and feelings
0: that come with it. Yeah, yeah, they're finally, they're finally being heard instead of buried. And there's probably going to be points that are, you know, easier for you to talk about. And then maybe some that you thought might be a little easier and they end up not being easier. Um, and, And that's all fine.
1: And um, there, were, there, were, there were different parts in my life where, where I was either assaulted but um, the, one, the one time in my life that made a huge impact on how I grew up was um, the abuse that I think about when I think about my, my child's sexual abuse. And I was a little older, so I was 14. <clears throat> And um, because I was older, um, it was difficult for my it was difficult for my parents to understand what was happening because uh, I guess they expected me to be older than a child, even though I was still developing mentally, emotionally, sexually.
0: Um, so they uh, expected you to respond um, to. The abuse more as an adult than as a child. Is that what you mean? Um,
1: I think they just didn't understand what was happening. So, okay, let me backtrack. Um, the abuse that I'm referring to when I was 14 was uh, incestuous abuse, and it was, it was, um, I guess my half brother from my mom's side. Okay, mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of where the difficulty is in sharing the story, and in sharing who I am, just because, just because it affects, it doesn't just affect me, it affects my, my family.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. And it's really scary, but I'm at a point where I, I don't want to be, I'm I'm tired of being quiet, I'm tired of being silent, and it was just such a huge thing in my life, it made such a huge impact, and When I look back at, when I look back on it now, it's crazy to think that the person that I was then is so completely different than the person now. And um, if I had known that I'd be here years ago, I I wouldn't have believed the person that told me just because it was really difficult. It was really difficult dealing with it growing up.
0: If you can, if you feel comfortable to, um, we can talk a little bit about that person that was growing up and and how um, how that that pain uh, manifested in your life. But if you would like to tell me more about what happened as well, that's fine too. We can. I just want to have a conversation and just want to be very respectful. F- for to um you and exactly you know how how and what you want to share about your story
1: oh no thank you i appreciate that and uh feel free to ask me any clarifying questions because my head gets a little jumbled <laughs> when okay. i think about it
0: all right will <laughs> do
1: i might be like at point c and you're like oh, what happened to point a <laughs> <laughs> i will um okay so i was 14 when the I was actually, it happened multiple times in my childhood. So he didn't grow up with my family. So he had had come in um, kind of when he was 14 from the Philippines just because of how papers work and um, him needing to finish school in the Philippines. And oh, my mom loved him. She had so much guilt she had so much guilt for having to leave him behind um, just so that he could grow up and be able to finish school from where he was at. And so I don't remember growing up with him for, I want to say, half of my childhood. So when he came into our lives, it was different for everybody. But even before he came in, my house was very turbulent. I think... Looking back on it now, both my mom and my dad um, had problems processing their own emotions, <clears throat> and I think it was just the stress that they had to deal with every day. It was it constantly had to be my sister and my my problem and my sister's problem and. Um, so there was a lot of verbal, mental, emotional abuse, gaslighting um, that existed there before any of these happened. And um, when I was older, when I was 12, I don't remember exactly what was happening, but I do remember, I do remember, um, I do remember him pressuring me to touch him when I was 12. And it happened a few times, but I don't quite remember the context, but I do remember that he had done that. Um, The memories that are stronger for me are probably when I turned 14. And so Um, when I was 14, I was was active in the church, I was singing, and it was the one thing that I loved to do. And uh, staying was the one thing that I had that I did to escape from home. And he was the person that drove me to and from school, to and from church, because my parents were busy. Um, And I remember one time at church, I was at the back of the church and someone had tried to reach over and kiss me. And I, I had told, the person who is <laughs> the, person who's the lead vocalist at the time. And um, I guess long story short, um, when it came to the point where it was time for me to call someone to pick me up, it was me calling my brother up and telling him, look, this is what happened. Would you be able to pick, pick me up? And uh, he did. And at the time, I guess I should give some context before that. When I was 14, uh, he kind of became the person that I came to when I had issues about the family, when I had my own personal issues or wanted someone to talk with. He was a he was a friend um, and I thought I could trust him. I thought I could trust him. And so I shared to him what had happened and he seemed like he cared and he... They seemed like he cared about me. And then it was the oddest thing because uh, we are in a room and we were just talking about what had happened and he said sorry and he kissed me and it was very confusing. I remember going I remember going to school the next day and not knowing what to do it was just that moment replaying over and over and over in my head and I didn't know what it meant. this person that was supposed to be my brother had done that and I
0: and had done that when you were already quite visibly upset about what happened at church, which was the very same thing, someone trying to kiss you. Right.
1: Yeah. And so that was, that was, I guess, the beginning of the visa. happened when I was 14. And I guess from there, it, it escalated. And um, there was one time that we were cleaning the house and he was chasing me around and he had stopped me and he had asked me for a massage. <laughs> and I didn't think of anything much of it then. And I, when I think about this, I don't know. I think like everything is still jumbled up. I don't know if that was before or after the kiss, but I think it, I'm pretty sure it was afterwards. He kind of stopped me, he asked me give a a massage and later a massage turned into him moving my hand so that I could touch him. And um, I didn't understand it then the way I do now. And I think it's difficult for me to think about because for the longest time I thought that I was an active participant, but if I remember the, the specific moments where he had asked me to or had pressured me to touch him. I, I blocked out everything that happened in my head because I hated what I saw, I hated just everything that I sensed in, in those moments of, of touching him. And now, years after, understanding myself, mentally, emotionally, physically, sexually, I know that was not consent, and still, for the longest time, I thought it was my fault.
0: That point you make is so incredibly valuable, and I know you may not feel like you are expressing yourself um, uh, clearly, but you absolutely are, and it's so important for people to understand that you cannot... um, expect a child, including a teenager, we're not talking about just little children, teenagers too, that are growing and developing and just um, starting to understand what it means to be older, to understand situations like that and expect them to respond in a certain way. So not only is there the outside pressure of, Um, well, why didn't you do this? Or I would have done that, which is absolutely (laughs) ludicrous because nobody could say what they were going to do in that situation unless they actually experienced it. But there's also us internally, because I know I did that too, of blame. Why didn't I respond a different way? Why didn't I do this? Why didn't I tell? Whatever the case may be. And the thing is, is, is we couldn't. We reacted, our bodies reacted, our minds reacted exactly how they were supposed to, and honestly, the only way they could at the time. Yeah.
1: That was rough. Um, And so the abuse, the abuse continued because... Well, I guess I shouldn't add because, because there should be a reason for why it continued. (laughs) But um, the abuse continued uh, when I was 14. And so he and I were kind of volunteering at our parents' business, or I was volunteering and he was working. And um, there would be moments where there would be a break in between Be his opportunity to abuse and it was almost like for the cost of someone that i trusted for the cost of having someone to listen to listen to me and i i felt like if if i didn't do the things that i did i would lose a friend that i thought that i needed because i felt so alone in my family and in the situation that we were in, because I thought he understood me in a different way. And it was, it was a very scary time. Because all all of these things were happening and I didn't understand any of it, but I knew it felt wrong and I didn't like what was happening. But at the same time, He was also my friend. And it's taken me a long time to realize that I wasn't my fault. And there was this huge confusion of what a brother is and how he's supposed to be and what was happening. And oh, I remember sleeping two hours a night it was hard i barely got any sleep woke up at 3 a.m to wake up, up so that we could both do the volunteer work that we were doing and i remember when i would go to bed try to go to bed and it almost felt like i was falling into a black pit and i would hear all of these voices and they'd be very loud and there would be so much shame in them and these terrible nightmares i would sink into this deep hole and i couldn't wake up and i had those nightmares for a very long time with abuse was happening until one day or one night when my, i guess my dad could figure out or sense that something wrong was happening because I guess my brother and I seemed too close. And uh, he came one night because we were spending the night at the place that we were volunteering at. And um, I just remember loud knocking, very loud knocking. And um, I remember I just completely dissociated from that moment. I dissociated every single time that the abuse happened um, but that was the longest time that I dissociated and I just remember loud knocking and the scare and being in the same room as my half-brother and he stands up just because it's this was like mid-abuse Stands up, he goes to the sink, he washes his hands, and he tells me to go and answer the door. And all I can think of is, oh my God, my dad is gonna kill me. I was so afraid to tell my family because my parents had already had a history of not being able to manage their emotions. And uh, I knew that if I had shared any of this, with them, I, I, I only imagined the worst happening, the worst happening. Um, because the, I, I grew up with them having fights, very strong fights where my dad would be yelling and my mom would be sharpening a knife because she was so anxious and so tired of having to deal with My dad's loop swings. They're not like that now. It's, they were so completely different then and I think that they've changed. They've probably grown tired of having to be that way for such a long time. Yeah. And so the parents that I know now, I love them and I adore them and I care about them. But the parents that I knew and were completely different. They didn't understand how to deal with the stress, the stress of taking care of a family, the stress of dealing with their own emotions and their own pressures of being Filipino in a very American culture, and making sure that their children were the best that they could be. (sighs) But anyway, When my dad had walked in, I just remember dissociating and him yelling. And I remember him hitting my half-brother and saying, I will kill you. I will kill you. He walks outside, and he calls the police. And I just remember blue, red, and white. And it flashes. I was so scared. I was so scared I was gonna lose, I was gonna lose everything. And even though that itself was the abuse and that itself was the reveal of the abuse, there was so much more that happened afterwards that made an even bigger impact if not the same amount of impact as the actual abuse. <laughs> Maybe even worse. <laughs> because I understand that.
0: There's a lot of things that happened after the abuse that made it just, it made life even more and more difficult, and the pain just harder to bear. Yeah. So I didn't mean to interrupt you. No,
1: you're good. <laughs> I hope, I hope that I'm making sense because I didn't realize I'd be trying to tell my story through tears, so.
0: <laughs> no, you are making perfect sense. The, the one um, piece about your mom, were you um, worried as a child that she was going to hurt herself or hurt your dad when they were fighting? Um,
1: when they were fighting or when they fought, there would be a lot of gaslighting. So my mom would be... My, my, my mom would be blamed for a lot of things
0: Mm.
1: that were outside of her control, even though she was always doing her best. And she was working very long hours as a nurse. Um, but for numerous things, I think my dad was stressed out about a number of things. And he he, he, he took it out on my mom. And so when she was sharpening the knife, it was, it was because she was, either she was thinking about killing herself or, yeah, I just yeah. remember, yeah, that's, she was, she was thinking about taking her own life and yeah. it's really hard to have to see her parents do things like, like that.
0: Yes, I can only imagine. Um, so when, when my, my dad
1: had discovered the abuse, and the cops had came. Um, I was just, I was afraid of losing everything. I was afraid of losing my family. I felt like I was gonna get disowned and that my parents are gonna abandon me. And I remember, <laughs> I remember getting interviewed uh, by the police. So the police came they arrested my half-brother, and they took him away. And um, I just remember afraid, sitting down on the bed, afraid because my dad was pacing right and left, and I was already afraid of him because I, I hated having to deal with him when he was upset. Um, but the cops came, and the people who interviewed me were men, and I remember sitting down, and the recorder wasn't working. <laughs> and uh, I just remember feeling the urge to tell tell them what had happened because I was so tired of having to hold this huge secret inside myself. I was almost relieved that they were there yeah. because I had decided, I had decided before that, that I was going to, that I wasn't going to tell anyone what had happened to me. Because there was so much shame attached to the abuse. Yeah. And so they interviewed me. I I told them everything that had happened. I gave them my personal journal because I wrote down everything that had happened when it did. and I remember, and this is gonna be a jumble too, I remember before he left the room, before my brother left the room, he looked at me, I guess, and I I could barely process what was going on at the time. He had told me, "It's, it's my fault. It's my fault and tell the truth. Oh wow. And I didn't understand any of the things he was saying because uh, even before that, I remember you could have he and I would have my brother and I would have conversations about um online predators and how I guess, at the school he was at, I guess they had to write some kind of agreement or an oath about not harming someone sexually. And he was just talking out loud about how he and his friends were thinking about, I don't know, hunting these predators down just because of how, just because of how awful it was to hear about it. He was telling me that. And so remembering that and then taking me, taking me to that point where he looked at me and told me and told me it's my fault and tell the truth. I was so I was confused. I was so confused. I didn't know what was going on because he was in one at one hand. In one hand, he was the friend I trusted, and in the other hand, he was the first person that made me do things that, that I hated doing. He says that, he leaves. I can tell that, I, I know that I was extremely dissociated because my mom, my mom came in. And I remember bawling like a baby. I think she came in after my interview. She had told me that Um, I guess my brother needed shoes or something and I did not remember him coming back in for shoes. But at the time my mom came, my aunt came and my aunt and my mom are both really good friends. And so they both came and they emotionally supported me right immediately after the fact. My dad was mad, He he was mad at me, he was mad at my brother and, and I don't remember what he was saying at the time. I, I think I tried so hard to shut it out because I was so afraid of what he would say. So I don't remember what he said, but I do remember that I felt very afraid around my dad. So he left the room and I remember telling my story to my mom and my aunt and it wasn't the whole story. I just, I think I was just a mess. (laughs) When I think about it, I don't know if I told them the story at all. I think I was just crying. And the weeks after that were really difficult because my parents didn't know how to deal with what had happened in the family. And I felt, I felt like, I want to say black sheep, but that doesn't, (laughs) that doesn't, I feel like it doesn't, Really illustrate how I felt. I felt.
0: Did you feel kind of on the outside while everybody else was dealing with what happened? Um, they were navigating it, and you were kind of on the outside. In a sense, yeah.
1: I think, I what I felt in my family. I felt. I felt disgusted. I felt. I felt like I had done that to my family. And what I remember, I remember very strongly um, was my dad asking. And he didn't know because he didn't grow up in a family or a time where they knew how to talk about stuff like this. And as far as he knew, I was a willing participant. And he just, He was so upset. And he asked me, why didn't you tell us? And he was crying. He was angry, but he was crying. And it was so painful to have to watch my dad cry because I've only been used to him being so upset that it hurt me even more to see him cry. (laughs) And so weeks after the abuse, I I spent time with my aunt so, I just remember it being very weird and odd, having to almost see my visa every day, and then all of a sudden not see him at all. And it was almost like it was so surreal. It was it was also confusing to me. I remember having their first therapy session and it was with a, it was with a family. I think it was my aunt that had recommended that my family went to go to a therapy session together. And, oh gosh, that was horrible. (laughs) First thing, my my first experiences with therapy were terrible. (laughs) But that session was just horrible. And I remember sitting in a circle with my mom, my dad, my sister, who was also having a hard time dealing with it. Um, they couldn't look at me, they couldn't look at my face. It just, the air felt so thick of the feeling that it was my fault. And because they couldn't even look at me during that therapy session, and because they couldn't look at me after what had happened, let alone really talk with me, I felt, I felt so alone and isolated and... <laughs> just kind of reinforced that feeling of, you know, it's my fault. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: We sat in a circle, and the therapist asked a few things. I guess it was like almost like an apology for what had happened, and I guess he was looking for some input from any of us. I just remember my dad, his lips were super cursed and, and my mom they didn't say much because um, my mom, growing up, has always kind of been the person that um, reflects what he does, and so if he doesn't say anything, she doesn't say anything. And uh, therapy was one of those things that had a huge stigma in my family, a very huge negative stigmas it it's almost like if you went to therapy it was something like, really bad
0: yeah that you're going to therapy you're mentally unstable these images that people have in their mind of you know i don't know uh, insane asylums and things like that
1: right and i think i, I think they struggle themselves because uh i guess as parents they've they felt that they did something wrong and there was a lot of guilt that they had to deal with. But also a lot of anger and confusion. And so that therapy session didn't go so well because no one had said anything. And it was so uncomfortable. And I just felt even more alone after that because not even the therapist could, <laughs> could convince them to say anything. I remember spending the night at um, either my aunt's house or my good friend's house and my dad would call you through the phone and he would he would he'd be really inconsistent about what he told me. One day he could be really angry at me and ask me why I had done that. And that I should have told them and really hurtful things on the other hand or and and sometimes he would call me like that one moment that I was either at my friends or my aunts and he was crying and he apologized and it was so it was such a confusing time for me because I didn't know if my dad hated me or if
0: he loved me, so at times he would call you he was mainly work- he was very much working through his stuff, and now he was feeling about the situation. he would call you and you would feel blamed, and then he would call you um, apologizing, and it was kind of this emotional roller coaster
1: right exactly. it was an emotional roller coaster he was trying to he was trying to navigate what he was going through after years of growing up probably in an environment where emotions shouldn't exist. (laughs) Yeah. He was probably fighting himself and his own thoughts at the time. And I was very resentful of both of my parents because they weren't there for me emotionally and to support me for what I needed um, at the time. (sighs) They had always given me everything that I needed, whether it was uh, financially or food or shelter, uh, but as far as support for what had happened, uh, I don't think, they didn't have the ability to, they didn't know how to navigate that, they didn't understand. So, uh, I grew up with that. The, the weeks after, the weeks after the abuse was kind of like that, where my dad would, uh, kind of, uh, he would he would be very angry at me and then sometimes he would the most of the time he was angry that was the only time that he apologized and he doesn't apologize at all (laughs) I think um, what that's called is a like a machismo thing where it's like uh, the man of the household doesn't apologize and it's always If, if something had happened, it's always the kids who need to apologize for what had happened, regardless of what happened, whatever he had done or said. Gotcha. So, uh, after the abuse and my dad being the way that he is, whenever something would happen in the family, whenever I made a mistake or whenever he was stressed out, he would yell at me and, um, he would blame me for things, and he would bring up every single thing that I had done in the past to include the abuse, and he would say, um, like, I need you to not stress me out anymore. You can't, you, you, you have to stop. You have to stop breaking this upon our family. I would say, sorry, go
0: ahead. No, I was just going to say, so you you were not done healing you needed more you needed more love more support you needed more healing and um so if I'm understanding correctly but your dad was like no we're we need to be done with this this is too too stressful
1: um there would be moments like that but I think I think whenever I had conflicts with my dad um he would always bring up what had happened. So he would bring it up and he would frame it in a way that it was my fault. It was my fault for not telling him, it was my fault for what had happened, it was my fault. And there were really ugly words. <laughs> um, and, and I think that my dad had a problem with his anger, a really bad problem with his anger because sometimes he'd be completely fine. And then, It would be one thing and he would snap and he would be this completely ugly person. And I remember he would um, multiple times where we would get in fights when I actually decided to stand up for myself and say, no, that was not my fault. And um, it wasn't something that I had asked for, it was something that was done to me. And uh, he would just get so upset and he would say a bunch of really ugly things that I. (laughs) don't think that I could repeat them out loud, but um, I remember going back to my room and my sister and my mom convincing me to apologize to my dad for yelling at him, for standing up for myself. And so it was this huge fight of having to hide what I was going through and hide my own healing just so that I could appease my dad or my mom and my sister, just so that they didn't have to deal with having to hear him yell at them or be angry. So I felt a lot of responsibility for holding my family together, because I felt if I wasn't doing okay and I wasn't doing well, my dad would pick up on it and he would be very angry, and he would verbally, and mentally, and emotionally abuse my mom. He would, uh... He would blame my sister, too. I don't want to go too much into detail about that, because that's... that's not a story that's mine to tell. I understand. But I recently talked to my sister about it, just because I told her about my project, and she was... She's been very supportive, but I think it's still difficult for her to deal with too because we both grew up in the same home and growing up, I didn't realize because she had told me that family members would blame her for not saying anything.
0: Saying anything about what happened to you.
1: Right, right. That she didn't say anything, um... About what was happening between me and my brother, and oh, this is this is jumbled again, but I do remember one time I think we were twelve, and I had written down what had happened um, it was It was an incident um, between my brother and I an abusive incident, and I had written it down, and my sister was reading my diary, you know. Like little sisters do. And she uh she was confused and she was upset, and she said, She said, think you need to tell mama and papa. And she was really upset. She said, This is wrong. You need to tell them. And I was so afraid. And I begged her not to tell them because I didn't know how I didn't know how I would deal with my parents if they had known if they knew what had happened. And I feel so after the fact, I feel terrible that she had to go through that.
0: But That was not your fault that she had to go through that. <laughs> it was the perpetrators fault for doing what he did. And you and your sister were children and I include children as teenagers and you're this is so important of a your message is so important because adults need to stop expecting children. And that is including teenagers whose minds are just developing to act like adults and not only adults, but adults that are knowing. And because there's plenty of adults that go through abusive relationships and don't say anything and hide things. I mean, we need to stop expecting that. And of course, you were scared for your parents to know. So of course you asked her not to say anything. And of course she didn't because she was protecting you. And at the end of the day, when it all came out into the light, there should have never been a response of why didn't you say this? It's your fault. We didn't know to, for you or your sister, if their parents listening to this story the response has to be of love and compassion and understanding that of why you guys did not, why your child did not tell, why secrets were kept, because you're, you kids.
1: Right. Right. And um, I think that was probably one of the hardest parts of everything. One of them is, you know, feeling like the relationship between myself and my dad has changed. I'm feeling like, uh, like an, I was an outsider in the family. Um, but also, one of the most difficult parts was probably having this huge fallout with my sister because she was dealing with my parents and their response to that. And she herself didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> because no one talks to kids about stuff like this. No one, we get sexual education, but no one, no one ever talked to us about, you know, the warning signs of or what can happen or what abuse looks like or what does, what is good touch and what is bad touch. We didn't have any of those things. I think that whenever my, Whenever my uh, dad was having a hard time, whenever my sister was having a hard time dealing with what had happened in the family, they would take out their anger on me and I, I absorbed all of it. I didn't know what to do. I felt like it was my fault and that I had, I had caused this huge problem in my family. And, um, at the same time, I was, I was struggling in school. Oh my gosh, it was like, it was summertime when the abuse had happened. And when school started, it was almost like, oh, well, we press pause, time to press play again, like go out of the world and uh, go to class and function, function the way you used to. And uh, it was sophomore year. I remember before going back to school, when it was high school, um, that the previous year of me attending classes, I was a straight A student. I loved school. School was the one place where I felt like, um, I felt appreciated and I felt like my hard work and my work uh, was recognized. And so I was an avid learner. I loved, loved going to school, Love going to the library. <laughs> it was such a peaceful place. I just remember trying to go back to school and spacing out so much. It was so difficult for me. I had already struggled with shame and, um, and what was going on and I just having to focus in class was really hard because I just, I remember I would space out a lot. um, And I would be really hard on myself. And that was difficult for me because I liked, I liked being the quote unquote smart one in class and it just went away. I just felt like I couldn't focus in class, I couldn't follow conversations in class, I couldn't follow a lesson. And uh, it was hard to deal with. And when my grade slipped, <laughs> oh, when my grade slipped, that was difficult. It was difficult dealing with that at home because um, <laughs> I think that there's this stereotype that Asian American parents are really strict with their children about getting good grades because you know, there's a there's there's a historical explanation for that because um, the the only way that they could make sure that their kids did well in this country and stayed here was if they if their kids had good grades. And so that that pressure gets passed on. And when I came back with, um, with my mediocre grades, I just remember getting into these very uncomfortable conversations with my dad. It was, it was terrible. And I mean, it was just, I, I struggled with so much self-doubt and uh, shame about what had happened. And on top of that, just feeling inadequate and uh, feeling like I, I didn't have control over the situation, over any situation. And my first experiences with therapy at the time were terrible, for one, because I guess I had appointments like every, every two weeks or every month, and that was not enough. <laughs> And I do remember one therapy session where I sat down with my therapist at the time, and she asked me as a, I guess, a 14 or 15 year old, she asked me, how can I help you? You had to tell me how I can help you. And I'm like, I don't fucking know, lady. Like, I'm still, trying to, I'm still trying to figure out my own life. Like, I thought I was supposed to come here and get advice from you. I couldn't navigate anything, and she was asking me to tell her what I needed, and I had no idea what I needed.
0: Yeah, how could you? (laughs) If I knew, then I wouldn't need to talk to you, lady.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was so upsetting. I was so confused. I didn't know how to verbalize how upset and confused I felt until after the fact, when I had looked back upon that session, Um, but... So that was my first experience with therapy. And I, I wasn't motivated to go back to therapy since then. And so since the abuse, it's kind of been, I, I guess, an internal battle up until the time that I had applied for college. It was an internal battle of trying to shove everything under the rug and deal with things, I guess, later. Because, because I, I couldn't, I didn't have the capacity to, to process what had what had happened. Um, I was constantly in survival mode. And I, I, I had no idea that I was until, until now, that I was constantly in stress mode every time I went home, every time that I dealt with my parents, every time I dealt with my family, I was constantly having to steal myself and my emotions and having to guard myself for uh, the next potential fight that I had with my dad. And on top of that, Uh, Um, my mom was diagnosed with cancer immediately after, sometime after the abuse, and, um, there was a lot of blame growing up before college, or even during college, where I would have fights with my dad, or I would have a disagreement with him, and my sister or my dad would get upset at me for being upset. And they would say, don't you know that mom has cancer and stressing her out will make it worse. It'll make it come back because she had chemotherapy and she was in remission at the time. And when I say at the time, I'm, I'm referring to uh, like later on in high school. And so navigating all of that was very difficult because um, I I didn't have the opportunity to really understand how to process my own emotions, how to process what had happened how to process trauma um, and all, all up until turning 20 I had felt that it was my fault <clears throat> and I, I guess I completely missed out this part um, when I was uh, when I was abused by my brother at 14 he he was 20
0: okay okay
1: um and so before I had turned 20, I was convinced that it was my fault, that it was my own doing, that I was an active participant. Um, and there was a lot of confusion about what had happened. And so I just, I didn't deal with it because I had already, I was already dealing with a very stressful home environment. And so when it came to the time to apply to colleges, it was my opportunity to Leave the environment that I was in. It was my opportunity to uh, start a new life for myself, and so I have very fond memories of college. Um, but I, I had to choose the college that was affordable for my parents because they had offered, um, they had agreed, and and, and and so kindly, you know, helped finance. They were so kind to finance my college education because it was it was something that they um, understood it as a cultural norm that if, if, if they paid for, um, us to go to college that, uh, we would take care of them when we grew up. I guess that's, I, I guess that's the, probably the reason why, in, in my dad's head, but <laughs> my mom, my mom just wanted us to have a good education and that's what she wanted to offer for the both of us was, um, to, to be able to give that to us, if that makes sense.
0: Yes.
1: Um, And so um, when I had applied for colleges and I was accepted to two, uh, I was accepted to the one college, and I guess uh, the one college that my brother was going to. And now that I bring that up, I completely forgot to mention that my brother was arrested and he was on trial and um, my, my aunt and my mom would give me snippets of the updates. Of his, of his trial. And this was immediately following the abuse. So I was taking high school classes and um, uh, my, my aunt and my mom would give me snippets and updates of what was happening with his case. And so eventually it got to the point where he was sentenced. So he was going to go to either jail or prison. I don't remember which, but um, he was bailed out He was bailed out, and so um, he went out into the world. And uh, there was a restraining order, and um, he went to college. And just so happened that the one college that I chose, he happened to be at, and um, I had no idea.
0: Oh my gosh!
1: So, um, college was my opportunity to start a new life for myself. It was. it was it was a different experience than high school. I didn't enjoy high school at all. I felt like an outsider. It felt like a new slate for me. I had plans to join the military after high school, but was convinced by a history teacher that I should go to college and join ROTC so I could be an officer in the military and get my college degree. And so that's what I was aiming to do because I wanted to get out of my home situation and it it seemed like a very secure option for me. So um, when I went into college I studied aiming to get my nursing degree but also um, was training for the military. So um, I joined the ROTC program um, at at my college and um, and so I was training to be an officer for for the Air Force and it was a, a competitive program so it was um, it, it wasn't guaranteed that anyone who joined ROTC would would go to them would become a military officer we would have to fit the bill or make the cut um, and there weren't that many girls there at all um, in the program there, there were not any there were not that many women when I joined. Um, and the women that were there were probably like, I could count them in one hand, there was probably like three or four, but I felt I felt it in my gut that I, that's what I wanted to do. And I needed, it's what I wanted to do to get the financial freedom and to get the, the, the freedom from, from my home that I needed. And so I was very focused in that program and I was very focused in my classes. I did pretty well. I just remember we were training, um, on school grounds, the, um, me in the ROTC program and we were marching around and I remember we were marching and I see him in my periphery and I just remember freezing. I was sure it was him, even though I couldn't see a good look. I, I didn't, I wasn't able to take a good look, um, but I knew he was there and um, all the stress responses came in. All of them just kind of came flooding in. I I felt afraid, I felt vulnerable, um, and I felt lost and I felt jumbled. And uh, that was hard for me because I was performing so well in ROTC and I was was recognized in that program Um, and I was doing really well in my classes. Um, But whenever, when, when it got to that point, where I, I froze and I had realized, oh my God, I am in the same school as this person. I think it it disrupted me. It disrupt, it, it disrupted me mentally for for a while. Um, and I think that was before I had turned 20. Um, and then it happened, I didn't know what to do about it. I, I didn't tell Maybe I told, I I think I told my close friend Jeanette. I didn't, it didn't feel like my space anymore. Uh, College didn't feel like my own personal space like it did. And um, my experiences after that were very difficult. And uh, I remember turning 20 and uh, it was the same age that uh, that my abuser was when he was abusing me. And so turning 20 was very difficult because I remember driving by the high school I went to and seeing 14-year-old or 14-year-olds and feeling sick to my stomach. Because they looked so small and so young. And I was so upset and I felt disgusted. Because I looked at them and I realized, I can't imagine doing any of the things that he had asked me to do to any of these kids. Yeah, I just feel like when I was 14, probably a lot of teenagers feel this way too. There's that eagerness to be old enough to do things, and to be seen as an older person. Um, and I didn't see myself as a child when I was 14. And when I turned 20 and I drove by the high school and I saw this whole swarm of teenagers walk out, walk out of class, I was, uh, it, it, it had affected me in a very terrible way because I almost, I had the realizing, the full realization that it wasn't my fault.
0: But you just so beautifully expressed and described what i was trying to say earlier is i remember as a teenager um seeing myself or feeling as my uh, feeling myself as an adult maybe right um i'm big i want to be older and and all of that and so it's so incredibly important that adults um, parents or anybody that has children in their lives always remembers and understands that They are not adults. They, even though they want to be thought of as an adult and older, even though they're driving cars, they are kids. Yes. (laughs)
1: Yes. And I think that um, I was so confused growing up because uh, I grew up with uh, the adults in my life that I thought I could trust telling me putting this, this, this weight of responsibility on my shoulders that I did not, I wasn't ready to have. I, I didn't understand what consent was at the time. I didn't know, I didn't understand myself at all, um, sexually, mentally, emotionally. And so fast forward to turning 20 and seeing these children, I was just, I was upset and I was with, I was with someone at the time. Uh, It was my boyfriend. And I do remember uh, spending I think, most of my time at his place. I, now that I think about it, growing up, um, I spent a lot of time at my friends' places just uh, spending the night. I remember I had almost completely changed. It was a complete 180, and he could tell that I was different, and I would to associate and space out. And uh, it was difficult for me to focus on class again. It was difficult for me to focus in ROTC. And uh, luckily it was at the, it was at a time when I was able to take a break from school for a little bit. Um, I was also spending the night at my friend, and my friend Jeanette's. I love her so much. Her and her mom have been super supportive the entire time that I was going through this. And, um, uh, this one portion that I forgot to mention. She was my, Jeanette was my closest friend. And um, I, I came to her with, 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 with these, with these things after that they had happened. They they had happened when I was 12 or 14 and she wouldn't know uh, what to do with that information. Um, and she didn't want to ruin the trust between me and her. And so she kept my secret because I asked her to. So later Um, when my, uh, when the abuse was revealed, um, I think I remember my parents dropping me off to, um, spend the night at at Jeanette's and we all sat down and my parents (laughs) had told her entire family about what had happened and what we dealt with. And it was always like that. It wasn't my story to tell. It was their story to tell. And it was, I didn't have, a say in whether or not they got to say what had happened to me. Um, but I do remember, and Jeanette is so kind and so loving and her mom, so amazing as well. They're just super compassionate. I remember, and this was like right after the Beast was revealed. This was high school. We sat down and my parents had started talking about what had happened. Uh, Jeanette's parents were apologetic. And um, they just gave a, a, a listening ear, which is amazing. And I remember that her mom had given me something to do. She said, here, Nana, take this and start coloring or cutting or something. And I just kept my hands busy and God that with the world to me. Because even if it was just asking me to keep my hands busy, it was her, her reaching out and acknowledging that I was there. And acknowledging that it was difficult for me at the time to probably process all of it and listen to my parents retell the story. So fast forward to me being 20 again, I'm jumping all around. Sorry.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm following right along. So Um, when I turned
1: 20 and
0: uh, uh, yes, did he, um, did he see you at college?
1: I don't, I don't think he, I'm not sure if he, I don't think he did.
0: Oh, so there was no, like, you didn't like bump into each other and talk or anything like that?
1: No. Okay. if he did, if he did see me, he probably tried to ignore me and head the other way. Um, There was a lot of, there was a lot of confusion around that. There's a lot of questions that I was asking myself. And when I had seen them, when I had seen him, there were so many things I wanted to ask him because I was still confused about what was going on when I had saw him on campus. Um, And this was before I turned 20. And uh, by the time I turned 20, I was going through so much mentally, emotionally that I had taken a break, a little break from school. And um, I I lived, I was still living in my parents' house where the abuse was happening, where we had, where my brother and I were volunteering. I just remember Feeling a repulsion towards my own room and the space that I was in, because um, when I had turned 20 and I had seen the teenagers, I I couldn't stop replaying what had happened to me in my head, and I was I was overwhelmed. I overwhelmed is not is probably it doesn't even encompass what I felt at the time. I was I couldn't handle it. It was too much to handle at one time, and I remember getting a ton of stress migraines and nightmares, and I had talked to my friend Jeanette, and I said, "I like, I'm going through this, and I don't know who else to turn to. And um, she and, it was just she and her mom, and uh, um, they offered that I stay at their place. And I cannot thank them enough for providing a safe space for me because I didn't realize that I was constantly in stress mode at home with my family and just the ability to live somewhere else and be somewhere else it, it, it gave me it gave me air to breathe and it gave me space to feel what I was feeling and by the time I had turned 20 Um, there was still so much that I had to process and it was very overwhelming. And so I I struggled a lot with my own life or having the courage to continue trying or living because at that point, everything was replaying in my head and I felt overwhelmed by these thoughts and this confusion and this anger. There was a lot of anger. And I remember I was staring off into space and... By this time, uh, Jeanette and I were going to the same school, and instead of driving the both of us to class, um, she drove me to uh, the community therapist, and I didn't know that they existed, but apparently they do over there. <laughs> and uh, But before that, the day before that, I remember Jeanette's mom talking with me, and she, We both are sitting down she could tell that i was struggling through this Um, and she said then uh, i think that it would help if you found if you found someone to talk to about this someone like a professional or or found help because i think that um, because of what has happened to you you have you don't know who joanna is and you have lost sight of her and was such an impactful conversation because i could not i could not separate who i was with what had happened to me and so the next day jeanette took me to the community therapist i was a mess (laughs) they took me in and i was able to find therapy for a discounted rate and that was the first time that i had a good experience with therapy and I remember the first question that my therapist asked me, and she asked, if if you didn't have to deal with, if you didn't, if you didn't have nursing school to worry about, if you didn't have the military to worry about, if you didn't have to worry about your parents, what would you do? What do you think you would be? What would you do today? And I just remember sitting there and I was completely shocked because <laughs> I never asked myself those questions. I was always so preoccupied and worried about how could I survive the next day? How could I do well in my class? How could I do well in ROTC so I can graduate as a nursing student? So I can earn this commission into the into the military? And I didn't have any answer then. And <laughs> I, um, I think that I was processing so much during that time that It wasn't until many, many, many sessions after that I was able to think about the different things that I did want to do after college. And thankfully, uh, she was, my therapist was that person that I could talk to about the different things that I was going going through.